That is the sound you never want to hear. It is the sound of the warning siren going off at a nuclear power plant. When you hear that sound, it means you are in the nuclear hot seat. Welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly podcast keeping you up to date on all things anti-nuclear. My name is Libby Halevi, and I'm the producer and host of this podcast. Our interview today will be a re-podcast of our talk with Dr. Janet Sherman and epidemiologist Joseph Mangano, whose analysis of government death statistics in the weeks after Fukushima indicated that the nuclear accident may have been responsible for more than 14,000 deaths in the United States. Their study rocked the media and the public, and we will rebroadcast all the information, including their insights into how Fukushima, Chernobyl, and Three Mile Island are still affecting our lives today. Today is Tuesday, September 11, 2012, and here is the week's nuclear news. In India, in Kudankulam, a young girl and a fisherman were killed on September 10 in a protest against the Kudankulam nuclear power plant, which is under construction on the southern coast of India. Fifteen protesters, as well as ten policemen, were also injured. Protesters say the violence erupted at the site of a peaceful fast against construction that has been taking place for more than 400 days. Thomas Kochery of the World Forum of Fisher People said, Police have been attacking unarmed villagers who were there to continue their fast on the beach, 500 meters away from the Kudankulam nuclear power plant, and they were protesting against the loading of uranium into the reactor. At the protest site on Monday, police opened fire on Dr. S. P. Udiya Kumar, the convener of the nonprofit group People's Movement Against Nuclear Energy. But Udiya Kumar, along with fellow protesters, escaped the bullets by lying on the ground. Fellow activists took them from the protest area by boat for their safety. Kochery said police have arrested more than 60 people in coastal villages near the nuclear power plant. Protests in support of the anti-nuclear protesters have been spreading throughout the country, including the capital of Delhi. The protesters base their objections on the fact that more than one million people live within the 30-kilometer radius of the Kudankulam plant, which they point out exceeds the Atomic Energy Regulatory Board rules. It is impossible to evacuate this many people quickly and efficiently in case of a nuclear disaster. Dr. Uriyakumar has said the nuclear plant is unsafe. The safety analysis report and the site evaluation study have not been made public. No public hearing was held. It's an authoritarian project that has been imposed on the people. How can a peaceful agitation of villagers against a nuclear power plant in their backyard be a seditious activity? Yet an unprecedented 3,500 protesters have been charged with sedition. Nuclear Power Corporation of India Limited, the plant's owner-operator, says that dummy fuel is being removed from Unit 1 and live fuel loaded in. Commercial operation of the plant could start later this month. A representative of the Alliance for the Release of Innocent Fishermen said, The protesters are not fighting for nuclear power or any other benefit. We are only saying that the Kudankulam nuclear power plant is a potential threat to safety, and its effluence will destroy the fish at sea. It is a fight for our livelihood. Here in the United States, in an effort to continue operating a nuclear power plant that sits on known active earthquake faults, Pacific Gas and Electric, PG&E, is seeking permits to engage in seismic testing off the central coast of California. 
According to a PG&E representative, the proposal calls for a 240-foot ship to tow a quarter-mile-wide array of 20 250-decibel air cannons along a 90-mile stretch of California's central coast. These cannons will shoot deafening underwater explosions once every 20 seconds, day and night, for 42 days and nights. The region where this devastating assault on wildlife is expected to take place includes the so-called protected Point Bouchon State Marine Reserve. The seismic testing is expected to yield only moderate mapping results, and according to Fish and Game Commissioner Richard Rogers, would cleanse the Point Bouchon State Marine Reserve of all living marine organisms, from sperm whale right down to the plankton. According to Stop Diablo Canyon Seismic Testing, our position is that seismic testing is a threat not only to whales, but to all of us because it allows PG&E to delay removal of the nuclear plant from the earthquake fault. The seismic testing is scheduled to run from early November to early December of this year. Now is the time to contact California state representatives to ensure that approval is denied for this ill-conceived plan. Moving over to Japan, there's a lot of news coming out. First of all, TEPCO vaguely cites the ability of its Unit 4 at Fukushima to resist a 6-plus earthquake on the Japanese seismic scale. However, when pressed, TEPCO admitted the seismic 7 only referred to vertical shaking and not horizontal shaking. They also admitted that they do not have a plan to deal with the potential for a fuel fire in the spent fuel pool if it were to devolve to the point where water could not be used nuclear physicist Niels Bomer in an interview with TRU News said, should there be a new earthquake in the region, you could have a dramatic situation once again. New cracks, water entering into reactor core, you could maybe have a nuclear chain reaction starting in the fuel, which means you could have a lot of radioactivity released again. You will have a nuclear reactor starting again without any control mechanism. So the main thing now is to keep the water out, to keep the cooling running, and build the buildings around the reactors. Arnie Gunderson of Fairwinds Energy Education added, if there's another large earthquake, it is likely that the pool will crack, and it is likely that the pool will drain, and if that happens, there is nothing that can be done to prevent fuel from burning. The concern is that if a Richter 7 were to hit the site, that would have enough energy to crack the pool in which case the fuel would catch fire, and in which case we would be reliving March 11 all over again. Now, TEPCO, in its usual straightforward way, has been caught with their pants down photoshopping a photo of the unit for spent fuel pool. First, they posted, unannounced, a photoshopped image that obscured something at the base of the building. Then they removed the original alteration and replaced it with a cropped photo that simply cut out the area they were attempting to Photoshop. Now, Japanese citizens want to know what do you think they were hiding and why do you think they were hiding it? TEPCO is also preparing to remove spent fuel rods from the number four reactor pool, and this is scheduled for December of 2013. But they now say that debris scattered in the pool could hamper workers from taking them out. Of course, that may not be their problem because TEPCO has also wondered if it can secure enough workers in the next five years to handle all of its needs. 
It said it will see a shortage of workers unless it finds way for them to avoid exposure to radiation. And of course, there's no way to avoid the exposure to radiation, which brings up the fear that was voiced last week by our interviewee, Iori Mochizuki of Fukushima Diary, who said that he was afraid that if no workers are found, that the government will begin drafting young women and men and forcing them to do work at Fukushima Daiichi. Okay, the Numbnuts of the Week Award has so many nominees out of Japan, and they're all dealing with food. The first one comes from a Japanese newspaper report on comments made by Kawasaki City's mayor regarding lunch items served to students. These include frozen oranges that have been shown to have 9.1 becquerels per kilogram of cesium and canned apples that have 1.6 becquerels per kilogram of cesium. This again is an item from Fukushima Diary. The mayor said, It's important for children to know they live in danger. It's wrong to educate children to be conscious about this level of radiation. There is a risk of being hit by a car. There's also a risk of being stabbed by a passerby. Should we teach students not to pass by anyone? That's not comparing apples and oranges. That's comparing insanity to off-the-charts insanity. To parents who are not convinced, Mayor Takao Abe said, Don't be a chicken. Okay, here's the second numbnuts about food. The Board of Education in Fuchu City, which is near Tokyo, has decided to serve Fukushima milk to elementary and junior high school students as of September 10, 2012. The Board of Education states that the milk is checked by Fukushima Prefecture and also Meg Milk Snow Brand Company Limited, the distributors of the milk. So it's supposed to be safe. In other words... School students will be forced to be exposed to radiation for no reason. To put a button on the food issue in Japan, this according to Kyoto, a Fukushima prefectural government panel on the health impact from last year's nuclear crisis at the Fukushima Daiichi power plant said on Tuesday that one young person has now been found to be suffering from thyroid cancer. That is only 18 months after the accident and a very short period of time for thyroid cancer to have shown up. To allay Fukushima fears, radiation checks are being made easier in Tokyo. When three reactors melted down in Fukushima Daiichi, many people in Japan feared for their health and that of their growing children. One restaurant owner, Osamu Matsuo, said, I wasn't confident I could serve food and tell people it was safe to eat. So he shuttered his restaurant for half a year after the Fukushima disaster. In January this year, Matsuo bought a radiation detector and welcomed diners back once more. He now checks all meals and drinks served at Restaurant Arara and proudly declares it to be a Becquerel-free restaurant. He said, we need places where we can check that food is safe and do so in a calm manner. Matsuo encourages customers to bring items to test. For this, the rating takes at least half an hour and they will often have a meal while they wait. That is the definition of a smart business owner. Some stories in connection with the nuclear issue are so important 
They deserve to be repeated. Today's interview is one of them. It's an encore presentation of an interview with the doctor and the scientist responsible for a statistical analysis that indicated that more than 14,000 people in the United States may have died directly because of radiation from Fukushima in the weeks after that accident happened. If you think that's not possible, listen in to what Dr. Janet Sherman and epidemiologist Joseph Mangano have to say. This is from Nuclear Hot Seat 31, January 10, 2012. Dr. Janet Sherman specializes in internal medicine and toxicology with an emphasis on chemicals and nuclear radiation that cause illness, including cancer and birth defects. She is the author of several books and the contributing editor of Chernobyl, Consequences of the Catastrophe for People in Nature. Our other interviewee today is Joseph Mangano, He's an epidemiologist and executive director of the Radiation and Public Health Project Research Group, which is available at radiation.org. They are the co-authors of the recent report, An Unexpected Mortality Increase in the United States Following Arrival of the Radioactive Plume from Fukushima. Is there a correlation? This was published in the International Journal of Health Services in December 2011, and as you can imagine, the article has proven to be quite controversial. So today we're going to talk not only about the content of the report, but some of the responses that both uh, Joe and Janet have been dealing with. First of all, welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat. Thank you very much. It's, Thanks for having us. It's great to have you here. Briefly, state the findings that you brought forward with this report. The findings we uh, brought forth are twofold. First of all, for the first time, we have published in a peer-reviewed scientific journal information on potential health risks of Japanese radiation coming to the United States from from the Fukushima disaster. And actually, not just the United States, but we're the first article in any country to look at human health effects. The second thing we looked at, of course, was as best we could to examine the information on just how much radiation reached the United States, just how much reached our food supply, our water, our air, and our milk. That is really what we, we focused on here. And where did you find the statistics that you used as the source for your analysis? Two sources. The information on radiation was the Environmental Protection Agency, and the information on health, namely uh, reported deaths, was the CDC, Centers for Disease Control. So it's all official federal data. How quickly after Fukushima happened did you become aware that this might be an area for, for compiling information? We know what happened after Chernobyl that people immediately uh, got sick, and there was an increase in a number of deaths immediately after Chernobyl. So we thought, well, maybe this is the same, you know, the same thing is going to happen, and we need to look at this. We know that the um, radioactive fallout went around the entire northern hemisphere and was picked up in the United States as early as six days after the, uh, the meltdowns. Right, that was the radiation plume that they said was going to happen and, the, and then the officials said was not going to happen, but happened anyway. Right, but then did happen. The reduction of your article and the way it pops up all over the place on uh, the Internet is that you have linked the radiation from Fukushima to 14,000 deaths in the 14 weeks after the meltdown first occurred. How accurate is that as a reduction, and how would you want us to uh, approach that number? Well, what we did 
I know these headlines sometimes have to squish, you know, uh, a lot of words into a few words. But really what we found was that in the 14 weeks after the Japanese fall arrived here in the U.S., there were 14,000 excess deaths, or uh, the number of deaths was, was unexpectedly high by 14,000 compared to the same period a year ago. Now, we are not saying that every single one of these deaths was undisputably caused by fallout. However, we are saying this is a finding that raises a red flag and calls out for more research on just how much radiation got here and just what it did to our people. Janet, you're a medical doctor, and I know that you that Joe is, as you've explained it to me, Joe is the one who goes into the statistics and, and, and puts that together. You're the one who deals with the effects on the human body. With this spike in radiation and these additional deaths that are showing up statistically, what might have been the contributing factors? I mean, was it a direct result of radiation poisoning? Was it stress on immune system? How would you interpret the range of possibilities that this could happen? I don't think it's a direct uh, effect of the radiation fallout, but it's. I think the effect is on people with compromised immune systems, particularly people who are elderly, people who've been on chemotherapy and radiation therapy, where it doesn't take much to push them over the edge, um, and also people younger than one year of age. The big concern is babies because their immune systems are not fully formed and their detoxification systems are not formed. And the biggest concern is uh, the newborns and uh, young babies. Has there been any information made available about, or is there any way to even find it, on miscarriages that may have happened during the same period of time? I'd like to see all those data. I don't, I don't think that we have seen all of that. And a lot of miscarriages are not reported uh, because unless the baby is, you know, breathing, they don't report it as a child death. We do know that uh, that after uh, Chernobyl there was an increase in miscarriages, newborns, deaths, uh, low birth weight babies, and birth defects. Mm. So in terms of comparing what's happening, what happened in the U.S. and uh, what happened most immediately after Chernobyl, how do they correlate to each other? Well, we found actually a very strong correlation. The two founders of our group, Radiation and Public Health, Drs. Jay Gould and Ernest Sternglass, 25 years ago did a, a very similar study. I can't say this was an, an original idea. Um, it was theirs. And they, they found in the first four months after Chernobyl, and of course, the same with the same fallout coming across the globe and over the U.S. and into our our food and water, they found something like sixteen thousand five hundred uh, excess deaths in, in four months. Mm. And so far, we're, we're, we've got you know our, our estimate is about fourteen thousand uh, in fourteen weeks. It's kind of in the same ballpark, and we know that the Chernobyl and Fukushima meltdowns are roughly comparable. No one knows exactly how much um, radiation was um, released uh, in, in either of them, actually, in, actually. But we're talking in the same ballpark, so that that is another, um, I, I guess, indicator that our, our research may be onto something. Now, Janet, we spoke originally back in November about the report as you had originally put it out. 
And at that time, you were you were saying that you were going to re-release it in this journal for peer review by other medical people. And uh, what was your reason for presenting this material not once but twice? And was there any difference between what you presented each time? We released the first one because we we realized that there was a problem, and we wanted to get feedback from, we released it hoping we would get feedback from people to let us know, are they seeing a similar kind of thing? And then we actually got more data, much more data, and submitted the paper to what is called blind peer review. We don't know who reviewed it, who peer reviewed it, or how many people peer reviewed it, but the paper was ultimately accepted so that the data that we originally released, because we were curious if it's, is it really true, and we were hoping to hear back from people across the country, turned out to be, by using United EPA and CDC data, it turned out to be that it was worse than we thought. Yeah, the problem we're working with here is that it's, in terms of the health officials of this country uh, churning out uh, health statistics, you know, uh, uh, rates of diseases and deaths, it's still very early. It typically takes, you know, three or four years to get final statistics on on, on mortality and, and cancer incidents and so on. What we have here is the CDC every week puts out a report on reported deaths for 122 U.S. cities, which is roughly equivalent to about a quarter of the country, which is which is a pretty large sample, actually. It comes out to like 600,000 deaths out of 2.4 million. So this is what we're working with. We, we don't know causes of death, except for one, pneumonia and influenza, in which we saw a, a very steep jump in those 14 weeks right after um, Fukushima. But still, this is, this is just preliminary early information. Again, I'll repeat what I said before about this should be a, a red flag, an alarm to go off, really, to start planning and conducting more more detailed research. I'd like to see our the EPA, which was conducting uh, weekly tests on radiation uh, fallout, and then decided that quarterly was plenty good enough. I think that the EPA needs to be collecting detailed data on fallout and levels of radiation in foodstuffs, particularly in milk and dairy products. This is not, to my knowledge, is not being done. Now, when you say that the EPA was doing weekly reports, was that before Fukushima happened or just immediately in the wake of it? Right after it happened, they were doing weekly collection and reporting the data. Then they decided that the quarterly, you know, every four months or every three months was good enough. Which, of course, is so counterintuitive. When you spoke about the um, government of Japan deciding to give free medical care for kids less under the age of 18, and to begin it in 2015, this is an opportunity to collect very, very important data, but they shouldn't wait until 2015 to start this. I mean, this should be begun immediately. I'm sure that the country is in such a mess that they, whether they can get it together or not, I don't know. At least it's the first time that there's been even the slightest nod towards radiation being bad and possibly having a health impact. Right. What I'd like to do now is ask you what kind of responses you have been getting to this extremely high-profile report. Has it been well accepted? Have you been dealing with naysayers on it? How's it been going for the two of you? 
The answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> we have gotten a, a lot of support. We've also gotten uh, criticism, and we've gotten downright vicious ad hominem attacks. But we're now on to looking at more data, and, and we will do everything we can to uh, follow up. Uh, and Janet, just to just to fine tune that, I would say, so far we count at least fifty media reports and and counting. That's five um, five zero is what you're saying. Five zero, yes, and there will be more. The large majority have been either objective or or supportive. There's just a, a small handful that are negative and uh, highly critical. We think they're influenced by the uh, the nuclear industry. Mm. Now, what has been the result in the medical world? Has the information been embraced? Do you know of any further studies that have been sparked by what it is that you released? I'm not aware of any studies that have been released. Certainly, I think that we need to be measuring the this, this cesium-137 and iodine-131 that is falling on the United States. And one of the easiest ways to do this in both Japan and here is trapping feral animals such as mice, voles, and rats. I mean, these animals can be trapped, and their body levels of these isotopes can be easily measured. But I, to my knowledge, I don't think anybody's doing it. Well, what I can compare com, compare this to, actually, it's not a fair, 100% fair comparison, but the, the worst meltdown in this country, the 1979 meltdown at Three Mile Island in Pennsylvania. As far as studies that were published in medical journals on actual cancer rates or disease rates or death rates near the plant, the first one that ever appeared was in late 1990. That's almost 12 years after the accident. Before then, there were 31 articles that addressed Three Mile Island without looking at actual statistics and 11 of them were written on the effects of stress of Three Mile Island. This is not a coincidence here. You can see that there, and, and I think out of the 11, I think six or seven were, were from the same author in, in Pennsylvania. You, you can see this is not a coincidence here. This this is a, a plan here. Um, when you say this is the plan, elaborate on that a little more. Well, the, the, the plan is that if anybody goes out and does a study, suggesting that uh, a meltdown may have, may have harmed people, then they can expect the professional backlash, the professional consequences for, for saying that. As a matter of, and as a matter of fact, the, the, the first studies that came out 12 years later were by a team at Columbia University. They showed that in the first five years after three miles, there was a 64% increase in cancer. And they concluded that, number one, that there was no link between the Three Mile Island accident and, and radiation and, and this big jump. And number two, that probably the, the biggest reason for this was stress. Now, you can look at it as a scientific topic many ways, but I, I defy anyone to, to declare that as an objective way of looking at the worst uh, accident we've had here in this country. And when you say that there was a 65% increase in cancer, was that in a particular geographic area or was that overall in the country? No, within 10 miles of the plant. Within, within 10, 10 miles, miles of, of the plant, very important. Yep, within, in the first five years after the accident compared to the prior five years. Right. Well, one never knows where funding for a study is going to come from and how it needs to be skewed in order to get it. 
Yep. <laughs> so on that happy note, what I'd like to do is open the lines to our listeners. If anybody has a question, you're going to need. I would like to ask a question. Yes, please. Go ahead. Who's this? This is Ace. Hi, Ace. Hi. I read that the CDC did not agree with your results. Of course, they thought it was stress. And um, I'm wondering if you have any ideas of what else it might, you know, what way is it caused by radiation? The first part of your question, I'll take maybe Janet can do the second. I have some quotes from the CDC saying that they, they disagree with our, um, I don't think our, with our methods, but with the numbers, um, but with the conclusions that it is possible that um, Fukushima may have contributed to the spike of 14,000 extra deaths. Janet, the set, you want to do the second part about the... Um, the main isotopes that we're concerned about are cesium-137, strontium-90, and iodine, you know, the iodines, 131, and the other iodines. And these, you know, are taken up in food. They're in the water. And, you know, anybody who's got a weakened babies without fully developed uh, detoxification mechanisms are extremely vulnerable to this. I think what the CDC's response indicates is a continuation of what the federal response has been to radiation exposure since the beginning of the atomic age 60 or 70 years ago. And that is below a certain dose, below a certain level, radiation does not harm humans. Except for the um, National Academy of Sciences beer report, which says there is no safe level of exposure to radiation, and every exposure to radiation, whether it's x-rays or radioisotopes, is accumulative. Many studies, that one and and, uh, studies of of abdominal x-rays to pregnant women, uh, bomb tests fallout from Nevada years ago, uh, workers at nuclear weapons plants, all all with relatively low exposures have been found to be at at greater risk for cancer and other diseases. But but still, the government persists with below a certain level that they arbitrarily pick out, there is no harm. And that just does not stand up to the many scientific studies of the last half century. It's all that. I mean, radiation is harmful at any level. Joe, Janet, what is next? Where are you going beyond this report with the work that you're doing? We're doing another article, a follow-up in in this particular journal, in which we look at additional data since the original one was submitted. We we now have the whole year for 2011, and it actually looks like that 14,000 figure may be closer to 20,000 excess deaths. We're looking at individual age groups. Um, The CDC gives six age groups. We're looking at different parts of the country or different cities uh, in in the country to see what their changes were. We're looking more at at pneumonia and influenza, the one disease for which deaths are reported. And also we're looking more at prior information to see just how good this um, 25% sample is, and apparently it is it is quite good as a predictor of the final numbers. That's my next step. Janet, do you want to add? Well, part of this is from the medical point of view, not, not necessarily from the statistical point of view. We found, uh, certainly from Chernobyl, we found that not just humans were adversely affected, and so we can't just say, well, it's stress or because they want compensation or because of the reporting requirements. But we found that both that um, wild and domestic animals 
fish and birds, plants, fungi, bacteria, and viruses all were adversely affected by radiation. Not every system was studied, but every system that was studied, we found that there were adverse changes, and many of them were lethal. So the entire biological sphere has been affected. We know that some of the studies of uh, the area around Chernobyl has shown that the, the birds uh, have lost the critical coloring, that the offspring are not surviving, that there's a decreased number of eggs laid. And we've also found that insects have been changed very shortly after exposure to radiation. You know, their life lifespan is not 80 years. Their lifespan is a matter of weeks. So all systems have been adversely affected. Well, I have to express my admiration to both of you, first of all, for taking the actions you have and having had the courage to put them out, even in an atmosphere that doesn't completely support you and what you're doing, because we certainly do here. And uh, we need people like yourselves to give us the perspective on what has happened, what may be happening, so that we can at least take some steps politically, socially, and personally in terms of our health to do what we can to uh, turn this situation around and change it. My thanks to both of you, Dr. Janet Sherman and uh, Joseph Mangano, who have been uh, the guests today on Nuclear Hot Seat. Thank you so much for participating. And thank you for all the work you're doing. Thank you. One last thing. How might we support you and your further work? What can we do for you? I think about the word to, to people that the, this is a, a serious problem and our government needs to step up and test food and uh, rele make these re releases of, these, of this information transparent to everybody. And I'll throw two more in. Number one, you can visit our website www.radiation.org to look at some of the studies we've done. This is our 28th peer-reviewed journal article. And also, Fukushima is not the only nuclear plant in the world. We have many here, many of which are aging, and, so, and many potential ones which the nuclear industry wants to build. And I think it's important that citizens become involved in demanding that before any old reactor is allowed to continue operating, and before any new nuclear reactor is built, we have to really come to grips and really understand what historically reactors have done to human health before making any policy decisions. And, and it's up to citizens to tell our leaders, dem demand that our leaders do this. We will do everything in our power here with this podcast to support us moving in that direction. Thank you so much for the work that you are both doing. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. And again, that was uh, Dr. Janet Sherman and Joseph Mangano, who are the co-authors of the report on mortality increase in the U.S. following the radioactive plume from Fukushima. Is there a correlation? Here's a final thought for the week. India is a warning to the rest of us. Governments and the for-profit nuclear power industry will stop at nothing to spread their dangerous, potentially life-ending energy technology. The time to protest is while we still can, when there is still a chance to turn this thing around. The Coalition Against Nukes Rally for a Nuclear-Free Future is pulling together the largest gathering of concerned citizens who oppose nuclear since the 1980s. 
We're angry that neither major political presidential candidate said one word about nuclear at their party's convention. We're furious that our world is being irrevocably polluted, our children poisoned, our water and food supply poisoned, and our government is putting its fingers in its ears and going, la, 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 I can't hear you. Well, let's just get together and make a bigger noise. Join with me and so many others from around the country, as well as representatives from Japan and perhaps even one from India, to wake up our legislators, the media, the people, our population. On September 20th to 22nd, the Coalition Against Nukes is sponsoring the Rally for a Nuclear-Free Future in Washington, D.C. To find out everything you need to know to participate, go to coalitionagainstnukes.org. Go if you can. And if you can't go, send a donation. Any amount will help us. Then here's something you can do from the comfort of your home. Watch the media. Pay particular attention to the news from September 20th through maybe the 25th or 26th. If you see any coverage of the event, let us know. Reporters aren't immune to the impact of radiation. I recently read a story by a reporter who was at Three Mile Island covering the story and who, ten years later, suffered from lymphoma. He reported knowing of three other reporters on scene for the story who died within those ten years, all from cancer. A press badge protects no one from radiation. We need to know which members of the reporting community of the fifth estate of the media is already willing and able to cover our news so we can go back to them and build the information, the connection, the relationship with them so that they can continue covering this crucial story. So if you spot a story about the rally or inspired by the rally, let Nuclear Hot Seat know. This has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, September 11, 2012. You can find all our episodes posted on nuclearhotseat.com forward slash blog, or you can click on the blog page. You can go to the Facebook Nuclear Hot Seat pages. We have two, and I invite you to like us, really like us. And, of course, we're on iTunes Podcasts. Share the link, forward the download, blare it from your car stereo, tattoo it on your chest, or maybe not. But if you have thoughts on how to improve Nuclear Hot Seat, send an email to info at nuclearhotseat.com. This is Libby Halevi of Hardestry Communications, the heart of the art of communicating, reminding you that we've all had our nuclear wake-up call now. Do not go back to sleep. <laughs>